That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, and this is the Bama Online YouTube channel. We're here to react to Alabama's really impressive 49-21 victory on the road against the Kentucky Wildcats on Saturday. Jimmy, we'll go ahead and dive right in. Kentucky, um, they're not a great team by any means, but I think they're a solid team. I think they're better than the showing this past week. Now, granted, they had a similar showing against you know, Georgia. Uh, in fact, I would even say it might have even looked a little bit worse. But Kentucky, when they're not playing those elites of the elites, they're actually a pretty good football team. Um, and it's the fact that you go on the road. It's 11 a.m. You're coming off a really emotional victory over LSU. So you would think it had all the makings to or for a, a trap game. Uh, or for at least them to come out a little bit flat, maybe struggle a little bit early, and it was quite the opposite. They came out firing on all cylinders. It's the most, it's the best that I've seen them look on both sides of the football collectively at the same time this year. They've played complementary football a little bit in other games, second half of the Tennessee game. Um, you know, so it's not like this is the first time we've seen it, but it just it was the they were firing on all cylinders. And that I thought was pretty key. Obviously, the muff punt, we'll talk about that a little bit here in just a little bit. Um, but, you know, that affected momentum, uh, shifted that in favor of the Wildcats. But overall, just your collective takeaways, considering where, you know, this was a chance for Alabama to lock up the SEC West. They have now done that. They're going to be playing Georgia. That's still a couple of weeks away. You got UT Chattanooga this week. You got Auburn. Then you got Georgia. Let's take it one game at a time here. Uh, but just, Considering what was on the line, considering everything, all the surrounding circumstances with the time and the injuries on defense, uh, and really, you know, uh, Jermaine Burton ends up being out due to an illness. That was a very last second thing. What were kind of your takeaways from what I think is a very impressive performance from Alabama? Yeah, overall, it was uh, great. I mean, uh, that, that Kentucky is a good team. I don't think you have to be a top 25 team to be a good team. Uh, I, I, I don't think Kentucky should rank in the top 25, but that, that doesn't mean they are good. Maybe they are realistically one of these top 35 types, you know, top 35, top 40. That's pretty good. You know, there's 130 teams. So <laughs> top, you know, top third of the whole sport, that's pretty good. They, and they certainly are. Um, you know, it flipped the script. Uh, based, you know, Alabama had sort of almost been in a pattern of starting slow and finishing strong. Uh, I think Alabama did finish strong in this game. I like the fourth quarter, you know, type, type performance in terms of just shutting the door on Kentucky. They did that, even managed to play a lot of young players at the end. But uh, by flipping the script, I mean, was the quick start. That, that's what we had not seen. Uh, Alabama was completely dominating. Uh, Alabama looked every bit like a college football playoff team started that game in terms of just being pretty unstoppable offense and dominating on defense I think Alabama I don't know that Alabama was up 21 nothing and they didn't have a first down but it was in that range I mean it was it was it was it was a complete and thorough dismantling until the Kool-Aid muff punt sort of uh, changed momentum in the game which Kentucky sort of held for a little while uh, that was the oddity about the game is is Alabama starting just uh, uh, looking as good as they have all year both sides of the ball and then it just changed. It changed one play, changed the momentum, and it took a, a minute for Alabama to get it back in terms of controlling the game. I would say it went so far as Alabama's first possession of the second half before they really took control of the game for good at that point. Uh, but but in that interim period between Kool-Aid's muffed punt and Kentucky's first drive of the second half, uh, Alabama was uh, sort of on their heels a little bit. Kentucky outscored Alabama over that period 14-7. to and there, it was uh, back to some some old Alabama road woes. I mean, some of those errors and mistakes that you've seen play Alabama on the road, Clint. Whether it was Milrose turnover, uh, just generally not being able to uh, to shut the other team down, them keeping the ball, not sustaining drives, usually due to errors, bad plays. Uh, we saw that, and, and so Alabama hasn't flushed it completely out of their system by any means, but. For most of the game, Alabama didn't play just well. For most of the game, Alabama dominated Kentucky, spearheaded by Jalen Milrow. I would say it was his best performance of the year. I, I don't think that's the case. I think each week there's sort of a new entry in that discussion as to what might be his best performance of the year. 
but uh, I think Alabama's improvement this season sort of uh, parallels Jalen Milrow's improvement this season. They go hand in hand, and uh, I think I think Milrow sort of embodies this Alabama team and why they're uh, so easy to root for. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, it, it. It is pretty crazy how the muff punt ended up playing into the momentum, just how much. I mean, when you look, go down the field, score on offense, and it wasn't some explosive play, you know, kind of strike early, you know, create something, busted coverage, whatever. It was they were taking what the defense was giving them. They were moving the football down the field. They were taking, you know, a lot of time off the clock, and they score a touchdown. Then the defense comes out, three and out. Uh, negative yardage on that drive, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, then Alabama gets the ball back again. They go down. They score again. Then Alabama's defense forces a fumble on the ensuing drive, pick it up, get it on the half-yard line, one-yard line, whatever it was, score that. Now they're up 21 to nothing. Hold Kentucky's offense to another three and out, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I think through those first three drives, it was negative two yards maybe uh, of, of total offense. And then the muff punt happens. And from that point forward, the very, I mean, obviously, I guess it's, it is the next drive technically. Uh, Kentucky goes six plays, 32 yards and a touchdown. And now it's 21-7 and everything changes. So it was just complete dominance. They touch the football on offense. They score the football on offense. The defense goes out there, and I'm fairly certain I'll have to go back and check, but I want to say it was two, three and outs, and then the one play that was a fumble. Uh, so that's as good as you could possibly start. There is no such thing as a better start. And you start to say, okay, this if this team going on the road uh, with the time, you know, a lot of when you're playing football early, I mean, I, I played at Birmingham Southern uh, for a year, and all of our games were, I think, at noon, uh, maybe 11. It's been uh, a, a long, long time, but it was either 11 or noon every single week. And I will say when you're in there eating breakfast at 6 a.m., getting ready for all the pregame stuff, and um, it just it feels like your day's really just getting started and you're walking on a football field and you're trying to – the intensity, it's very tough to get up um, that early in the day. And so anybody's going to kind of struggle with that, even though, I mean, there are certain conferences where it's a lot more commonplace to play early. But for the SEC, for Alabama, it's a road environment. You had the emotion last week. Like I said, I just I was very impressed with how they started. I uh, wasn't overly impressed with how they responded following that muff punt. But I will say this: they continued to work. Uh, and you know, you saw even Kool Aid on the right after it. I mean, he's working really hard to make a play, make up for it, and. You know, that's certainly encouraging, too. I thought it was pretty key that the coaching staff left him out there because, in my opinion, and a lot of people question this because they really don't want Kool-Aid McKinstry to be the punt returner right now. But uh, And I understand it's two completely different positions. Uh, but the confidence that it takes to play cornerback at a high level, you've got to have swagger. You've got to have confidence. You, you've got to be feeling yourself to play at a very high level. You can watch Terry and Arnold. And he's feeling himself this year compared to last year. I mean, he's very confident in what he's doing. And so understand that it's a different position. And you can still say, well, I might have screwed up as a punt returner, but as a corner, I'm still really good. I'm fine. That is true. Uh, and you would expect that to some degree. But when you are considered one of the leaders of the team and you're getting benched in any capacity, it's kind of embarrassing, I'm sure. Uh, and especially after a muff punt. Like you go out there, you muff a, muff a punt. And now you're sitting on the bench and every, you know, they're highlighting you, showing you on the sidelines, talking about you getting benched, all those things. You never know what could happen from a confidence perspective. And he's been really effective at it in the past. And the coaching staff still believes him. And Nick Saban also said that one of the players ran into him and, and really he didn't view it as Kool-Aid's fault. Um, some fans might view it differently, but the bottom line, they left him out there. He started fielding punts. He had the big punt return. And I feel like that maybe you might start seeing some signs of the old Kool-Aid. And so I thought it was important for the coaching staff to stick with him and not, you know, uh, give up on him, even though he struggled for a majority of the season. I thought that was pretty big, Jimmy. I think uh, I'm with you entirely. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting discussion and a discussion that has to be had. I, and I'm sure it's a discussion that takes place in the Coleman Hustler special teams meetings 
uh, with Coach Saban present in terms of, you know, are we going to make a change there? I'm sure it's being discussed. But I, I'm with you, Clint, in terms of which way I, I lean toward, toward towards this, too, is keeping Kool-Aid back there. Uh, I, I think it's too disruptive to take him out. I think it's late in the year. I think you make an excellent point about about his confidence. And, and, and you know, we've seen him not just do this job. We've seen him excel at the job. You know, if you go to Isaiah Bond, who's the number two punt returner in terms of reps and practice and before the games, you know, when they're warming up for the games, it's clear Bond is, is the next guy up after Kool-Aid. Uh, if you go to Bond, we're all hoping Bond's good at this. We're hoping he we're hoping he can cleanly catch the ball in a game situation and then make a play. You're not hoping with Kool-Aid. We've seen it. We know we can do it. <laughs> it, it. There's a knowledge that, boy, Kool-Aid's really good at this. We know that's in him because we've seen it happen. Uh, you don't want to uh, hurt his confidence as a cornerback where he is just absolutely invaluable to the team. Uh, and he's a leader on the team. And, and I'll throw this this thing in too, Clint. You're, you're now a week and a half away from playing Auburn. I know that most everyone listening to the show, including myself, even including including you and your playing history, uh, I don't think anyone listening to this has ever returned a punt on the road in an SEC football game uh, at Auburn, Alabama. And I don't think that Isaiah Bond or Cole Adams, who's weirdly the third guy, by the way, is Cole, uh, I, I don't think that Isaiah Bond needs to return his first punts as a college football player at Jordan-Hare Stadium with 100,000 screaming Auburn fans. Uh, I, I think that is Kool-Aid. It, it needs to be Kool-Aid, and Kool-Aid needs to figure it out. And, and maybe after the, the muff turnover, that was sort of the turning point for him because he looked pretty good after that, by the way. I thought he caught everything very cleanly and then even made a good return uh, later in the game. So I, I'm with you, Clint. I, I know it's a, not the popular take. I know what the popular take is from reading uh, the board, uh, you know, the, the premium message board, the round table uh, at BOL. I know what the popular take is, but I, I'm with you. I, I don't think that Nick Saban will make a change, and I don't think that he should make a change. I think Kool-Aid just simply needs to play better. Well, the number one thing on that front for me at the time, and, and once I heard Nick Saban after the game, it's like, okay, I don't think a change is being made, period. But I thought at the very least, you let him finish it out. And then you reevaluate the position maybe during practice. It's not this, you know, you highlight him, you highlight the fumble, you show it from 14 different angles on the TV broadcast, and you show him over there sitting on the bench while somebody else is out there um, getting ready to field the punt, and you're talking about how he got benched and all these things. It's, it's to me, it's it would be better um, to have waited and let him finish out the game because you do have confidence in him. And then you can reevaluate, okay, was this his fault? All these different things. And, and the way Nick Saban responded after, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think a change is being made prior to UT Chattanooga. I don't think it's being made prior to Auburn. I mean, I, I guess it depends on what happens against UT Chattanooga. But like we said, and we spent a lot of time talking about this, and we've kind of, I feel like I'm, I'm going in circles myself here. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, I just don't think it's going to happen. So I think fans need to, it's frustrating. I'm sure it was frustrating with, you know, when the Seth McLaughlin was struggling with the snaps, that's been cleaned up for the most part. You still might have the occasional issue, but that is a problem that has kind of resolved itself. And now you're getting much better play, much more serviceable play at the center position than you were earlier in the year. And, you know, maybe the, uh, that was a turning point for Kool-Aid because he seemed very motivated whether he was playing corner or whether he was a return man, he was going to field it. He was going to get a big return. He was going to make solid sound plays on defense. And that's how you want a player to respond to any sort of adversity. Um, so that that's good. Uh, a lot to talk about, both offensively and defensively. I mean, you talked about Milrow. I do think this was one of his better performances. You had some – you had – with Milrow, you're going to still get the occasional. What are you thinking? What did what were you seeing there? But what I want fans to understand, and it might if it happens against Georgia and it gets you beat, it'll be his fault, and everybody will hate him for it. I mean, not everybody, but people, a lot of people who were very for him, will be very against him, and they'll turn on him if the, so that sort of thing happens. So you never know when the timing of some of these plays is going to happen. So it's not like it's a good thing. Uh, but it's moving in the right direction still because it's not as common. 
Like it was like last year when he come in and mop up duty, when he played against Texas A&M, when he played against Arkansas, there were always, you would go in, you would see one or two decisions and you would say, well, what do you, what, what did you see? What were you trying to accomplish here? Uh, I mean, he threw a lot of late game interceptions, just chunking the ball downfield, had a terrible decision. I think uh, Austin P uh, where he rolled out and the, I mean, just a terrible interception. You look at Texas, you look at, you know, Ole Miss in the end zone. But nowadays, when's the last time he had one of those, Jimmy? I mean, it's been a, a couple of, I mean, a, several right. games. And well, I the think thing to remember, yeah, the thing to remember is progression is, is never linear. It's football, it's sports, it's football and sports. You want to be progressing, but it's never going to be linear. It's not like all of a sudden every interception is behind you. And I'll remind people that, that think interceptions are absolutely a reason to, uh, for the world to end. Uh, some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL happen to throw quite a few interceptions. <laughs> and no, no one in Buffalo is making a quarterback change. If you say no Jameis in, Winston's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm not. I'm, I'm ending well, this I'm podcast not. now. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But I'm just saying that last year, the last season, the two quarterbacks that threw the most interceptions in the NFL for the season long were Josh Allen and Dak Prescott, neither of whom – are in danger of losing their jobs, or, or, or rightly so. They're two of the best quarterbacks in the world today. Uh, just because it happens doesn't mean that you scrap it all and, and flush it down the toilet. Uh, the good news for Jalen Milrow and, and, and his fans and Alabama fans is, like Clint was saying, it, it's now, now it's like, gosh, when was the last time that happened? You know, it, it's obviously a more rare thing. Hey, look, Jalen Milrow might win the Heisman Trophy in 2024, Here's also what's going to happen in 2024. He's going to throw interceptions next year because it's football. And this is what happens in football. You make errors or sometimes the other guy makes an absolutely awesome play and you just tip your cap to him. That, that happens on some interceptions as well. But uh, it, it was a terrible play through the ball across his body. You know, one of the habits that he has that I know they've worked on and it has improved is his he drifts right. He doesn't really stay in the pocket. He doesn't step up in the pocket all the time. He sometimes doesn't play with urgency. He sort of drifts. I, I, I think you can almost tell watching him. He's not even really doing it on purpose. It's just some sort of when he's on autopilot, this happens. He drifts right. And the pro, One of the problems, there's a few problems, but one of the problems as you drift right as a right-handed quarterback, you shrink the field. Because what you don't want to do is throw back across your body because that, that, that you're throwing it through too many defenders. There's usually not enough velocity on the ball. Uh, you, you can't see all the way over there to the left. As you drift right, you're sort of setting yourself up for failure. And he needs to learn that when he catches himself drifting right, that it is time right now. Tuck and run or throw it out of bounds. But – don't just drift right until you run out of room because what's eventually going to happen is you're going to make a big mistake or get sacked. Yeah. And I mean, it, they're, um, it's, it's just, it, it's going to happen with him. Like, and it's going to, I don't think it's going to get that issue is going to get completely resolved or fixed in the next week or two weeks right. or three weeks. And so when it happens, it's more of that was ugly. That was rough. Can't do that. But as a fan, it's unfortunate because that can be the difference in the game. If it's a very back and forth, you're just looking for those one or two stops. Neither defense can stop neither offense. You know, that sort of thing, it can use, lose you a game. But as a fan, you should have confidence in the fact by this point, he has proven that he can respond after those turnovers. And he know, he's jogging the sidelines. Everybody that's watching was like, ah, ooh, that one was rough. He's already moved on to the next play. And that, I think, has been the biggest difference for him as a player uh, is that his mistakes aren't compounded by the fact that he can't move past his mistakes. And I think that that is, out of all the things that we've seen him improve, he's, he's looking defenders off more. He's making reads a little bit faster. His processing is speeding up because he's been playing more football. But his number one difference in what may, has made him a good player has been his ability to, I mean, it, the, the the defensive, I wouldn't say the equivalent because I think he's mastered it and the fact that he's a true freshman is pretty incredible. But Caleb Downs literally gets up the exact same way 
he, when he's in on a tackle, if he makes a tackle for a loss, he might get up and celebrate a little bit, but he's almost immediately jogging back to get in this position for the next snap. If he makes a, a bad play, he was out of position, whatever, doesn't get up, doesn't get frustrated with himself, gets up, jogs back the same way. It is next play, next play, next play. It is what it is. Uh, and, you know, the more that Milro has learned how to do that, the more effective he's been. And that's made a huge difference for Alabama's offense. Uh, let's talk about the skill positions, and we'll do it kind of broadly. And I do want to talk about Ty Simpson a little bit here in a little bit because I thought he performed pretty well, uh, very well, actually, in, in mop-up duty, which I thought was pretty key. But you had the three-man uh, running back rotation again with Jace McClellan, Roydell Williams, and Jam Miller. I thought all three players had some really good moments. I thought in pass protection, especially McClellan and Miller, they had a couple of excellent reps on that front. And that's been really key. A very underrated aspect of how this Alabama offense has improved is the fact that the running backs have improved in pass protection. Uh, so that was absolutely key. You also had Burton out. And we kind of question, okay, who's going to be the one to step up? And from a role perspective and the kind of things that Jermaine Burton does, it's very different than Kobe Prentice. But what you had was you had a situation where targets are available for other people because they're not going to Jermaine Burton. And so even though Prentice plays a different role, he ate up a large share of those targets and he performed well with it. But you also got Amari in a black back involved at tight end. I thought C.J. Dupree played a very good football game, a very complete football game. This is kind of the player we were hoping to see. He's not getting a lot of targets, but he was effective as a pass catcher. He was effective as a blocker, both in pass protection and as a run blocker. So from the tight end perspective, wide receivers, running backs, you know, what were, what were some of your uh, initial takeaways or, you know, just overall takeaways? Yeah, just improvement across the board. You know, this Alabama offense has improved. You're kind of – this this offense was given birth to week four, my opinion. Week four, we started building this offense. And Second. as it's been built, it has improved almost weekly. Again, progression's never linear, but it has been a, a, a steady, improving offense. And literally every position group in my mind has improved. The backs are better protecting. The backs are better at making a difference in the game and making plays in the game. We're even having backs uh, catch balls, which isn't something we saw in September and early October. Now the backs catch balls and make plays, as we saw Roy Dell Williams score a touchdown this uh, this past game, uh, catching a ball. Uh, the tight ends have, have really uh, – produced all season or at least they've contributed all season as pass catchers but now they're sort of a little more lethal I think Amari Nablack uh the thing I like about him is you know when we go to Nablack it's usually not a contested situation right I mean he he normally finds himself with some some space you know around him he he's good at getting open and making a play it's not just you know Dupree uh he's going to catch a ball and he's going to ramble and it's not going to be too pretty in terms of yards after catch but Amari Knobloch he's a separator and by that I mean he gets open and he catches the ball and he makes a play I, I think next year as a junior Knobloch could really be one of the country's absolute best weapons from the tight end position but I'm seeing improvement across the board that the wide receivers could really be helpful with Burton out Brooks out uh and and, and still step up and bond have a bunch of targets and Prentice catch a touchdown. Um, you know, Jalen Hale uh, comes in and makes a couple of plays with Ty Simpson in a quarterback. Um, I, I think altogether, Clint, just as I would describe the Alabama offense as weekly improvement, the skill players have gone right along with it, just weekly getting better. Yeah, the, and that's been the key. I mean, and it's to be expected. I mean, we, we said this. I think – some of these position groups like the offensive line, we said that the starting point was a lot worse than we were anticipating, but they've continued to get better each and every week. And like you say all the time, the progress is not always linear, but when you look at them right now, a very impressive group of players, and you're probably going to lose J.C. Latham. Uh, I mean, it's almost 100% that you're going to lose him to the NFL draft, but now you're looking ahead to 2024, and it's possible if you really wanted to. Uh, with the way Jaden Roberts has taken over as a starter and playing really good football, you could return four or five starters along your offensive line if they want Seth McLaughlin back, which you know fans need to go ahead and anticipate that because that's probably going to happen. Um, yeah, and, and with the black, 
in the two previous games, he had one catch for five yards collectively. It wasn't necessarily through a Lycatron. Now, he wasn't getting a ton of volume or anything like that. Nobody in this offense really is outside of Bond and Burton as far as consistently. But he had gotten a couple of targets in each of the previous two games. Him and Milrow could not connect at all in the LSU game. And Black had gotten separation and had, you know, he ha- he was going to have a big, long touchdown against LSU, but Milrow couldn't get him the football. His deep vertical passing uh, was a little bit off in that game. And so they couldn't connect. Uh, but I thought it was pretty important that they got him back involved um, because he's a big weapon and he's a big mismatch problem for opposing defenses. And to your point about kind of how he's doing it, uh, he's this big body guy. You would think he's going to be very effective in the red zone. He's going to be a guy who can, you know, make those contested catches. And he does have that ability. I think it's kind of strange that Alabama doesn't utilize him more down in the red area, especially when they've had some struggles down there. But I think they limit what they ask Milro to do down there because everything's condensed and you can kind of you can bait him a little bit more and create some issues for him. So they and they're having success with whatever they're doing as of late. They're scoring points. So there's not really much of a reason to go uh, elsewhere. But when you look in the black, he's got four touchdowns this year, 26 yards, 29 yards, 39 yards, 29 yards. So the guy's just making explosive play after explosive play when it comes to, uh, you know, when he is targeted, he's going to generate a really big play more times than not. And so that's that's really key for this offense. It's it's something where it's enough. Uh, he doesn't have to be getting five, six, seven, eight targets for defenses or, or defensive coordinators to turn on the film and say, we're going to have to figure out how we're slowing this guy down because they know that when those moments happen, he creates big plays, and he can be a problem, and that can be a touchdown, and you don't want to give up touchdowns. So he's a guy that you have to account for. Um, but, you know, I, I was really impressed. You know, Jalen Hill continues to be – and we thought that maybe his role would expand a little bit with Burton being out. He was one of the guys that, you know, you talked about. You thought Malik Benson, and he, I mean, I guess got a little bit more involved, but not really. His role has been – it doesn't – everything else around him changes kind of week to week. Uh, you know, outside of like Bond and Burton, it's really he he's just but he's never that guy where he takes over that yeah. kind of number three role. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's never been a third guy. There's never been I mean, that, that's that's one thing about that we'll spend a lot of time on this offseason that I'm already sort of looking forward to because the discussions can be so great. But the fact that that there's clear one and two, I mean, that's what this season did. Clearly, Burton and Bond, one and two, Batman and Robin. The third guy has been at best, I guess you could call it a revolving door, but there really hasn't been a third guy. I guess my answer is not black. Yeah, I mean, and and here's the thing about that: when you look at, uh, you know, even the 2021 offense was run through Jamison Williams and John Mechie, or the passing game was. But you looked at them compared to these guys. Obviously, I don't think the current two guys, or at least they're not at the level yet of those two, but also the number three, it was clearly Slade Bolton. Like, it, I mean, granted, Cameron Latou also, you know, if it wasn't Slade, it was going to be Cameron. But most weeks, Slade Bolton was that number three receiver. It's different this year because there, I mean, it could be anybody. It could be like, it, it's like five or six guys. I mean, it's pretty wild. I also think that can, in some ways, make it difficult to prepare for Alabama because you're preparing for something. I mean, if you spend all week on Amari in the black thinking he's kind of that number three guy, and then maybe you throw in a, you know, Kobe Prentice because you kind of view him as the number three. Well, then here comes uh, Jalen Hill, and and that's not his, you know, what he does well. You didn't necessarily prepare for as much as you probably should have, or maybe it's, you know, it's a number of different people that it could be. But I, I like where this offense is heading. I like where Tommy Reese is heading. I know that some fans view the play calling in this game as a little bit of regression compared to previous weeks. When you get up 21 to nothing super early, you can kind of call a vanilla game. And you don't have to reveal too much. You don't have to do too much. It's, you know, call the play. What they were calling for the most part was working. Why get super creative and cute and show what you got? Uh, even more of what you've already shown, uh, you know, you kind of what – Auburn might be thinking is if you don't see a lot of it against Kentucky, you don't see a lot of it against UT Chattanooga. Well, maybe they're getting away from this a little bit and then they hit them with it and they run it. They do some things they had done in previous games. And so it's, 
I think there's a method to that madness, so I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. Anything else on the offense before we decide to move on to the the defense? I guess we could talk about the offensive line, uh, but I thought they were good. No sacks allowed. I think they did allow six pressures, and half of them came from Caden Proctor. But overall, I thought the offensive line had a really good performance and kind of controlled the line of scrimmage like they needed to. Yeah, just improvement. I mean, literally, when we say the Alabama offense has improved, you can look to every single position group that has improved right along with it. I think it's embodied by Jalen Milrow, but the fact of the matter is the offensive line has come a long way to, to, to a no-sack performance against a physical defense like Kentucky's got. Uh, it, it is an improvement. And not only that, you run the ball pretty well with Milrow, with McClellan, with with uh, with Jam Miller, who's, who's sort of turning into a contributor here late to the surprise of no one. Uh, so I, I think the offensive line, it started, I think, settling on five once Jaden Roberts sort of settled in there at right guard. And now you've got five. And then Seth McLaughlin, almost with no fanfare, sort of eliminated those snap issues, which were just flat out terrible over the first half of the season and now sort of non-existent. I mean, uh, the snaps are fine. The, the line is fine. Caden Proctor still has a couple games to go. I don't think we'll see the real Caden Proctor till he's had a whole year in strength and conditioning and watching the film, the what went wrong in 2023 film for Caden Proctor. And I think a lot of it, frankly, which is just addressed by experience and in a year in strength and conditioning. But uh, overall, Clint, I think the offensive line, uh, I would go so far as to say it was a September liability, but it is a November asset. Yeah, and to your point about Proctor and the offseason stuff, that's where a lot of your – I mean, obviously getting the in-game reps is going to be critical because he's been put in a ton of situations. He's understood where he's failed, and there's some things that he's got to change. But some of it, like if it's weight-related, you can't really do a whole lot about that in-season. Uh, you're not going to lose 20 pounds. Uh, but at the same time, what do quarterbacks do in the offseason? They go see some quarterback guru, and they work all offseason with them, and they get things fixed. You know, uh, quarterbacks will fix you know their the, their throwing motion. They'll spend all offseason. So it's like it's same thing for pretty much all positions. Uh, you'll go and you'll do a lot of reps. You'll have somebody that's mastered that position. They'll look at how you play it, where you need to improve some nuanced things. You know, uh, but you need to have that game film available to be able to watch you can kind of know what you need to work on because in high school you know a lot of your stuff is masked uh you're going to dominate whoever and do what you want to pretty much with anybody you go against if you're a five-star like Caden Proctor who's you know six seven 335 340 pounds like he was in high school so uh one more quick thing that we need to talk about is Ty Simpson uh you know so we're going to bring him up and we definitely need to because I like how he got in early and when he came in, he continued to operate a normal offense for Alabama or a more normal. Like, obviously, as you continue to get later into the game, it became more of a mop-up thing, but they let him throw the football around a little bit. And, front, you know, obviously, I don't know if that had anything to do with the fact that Milrow at the beginning of the game hurt his thigh, and maybe they're thinking, okay, what if, you know, we got to start thinking about the possibility if we're going to run Milrow like this or let him run like this. We need to have that backup prepared. Uh, the entire season can't fall apart when you lose your quarterback. I understand that you know any, a lot of teams would, uh, you know, but at the same time, you want to still try to be able to win football games. And I mean, Ohio State in 2014, they won a national championship going to number three, you know, with Cardell Jones. So it's not like it's impossible. And Ty Simpson, I think, is a good enough player. He would have some issues, uh, but I still think Alabama could win some football games if he had to come in and play. But I like how they let him throw the football around. Uh, I liked what he did as far as, you know, being able to extend, escape. Obviously, Jam Miller had a key uh, block that helped spring him on that third down. But just the fact that he sh he showed a little bit more mill row than people realize. Uh, and, and so I think that that is good for Alabama if something were to happen down the road as far as insurance is concerned. You know, we talked about this with Jalen Milrow, and it's not just Milrow. It's every young quarterback. They're ready when they're ready. <laughs> they all mature at a different pace. And, you know, it's a small sample size, and some if some think this is an exaggeration, that, that's fine. But just what I see, I see a Ty Simpson that's ready. I mean, I, I think he's ready to play now. I, I don't think he was ready this spring. 
I don't think he was ready this fall or this fall camp. But ever since the South Florida game, when Ty Simpson finally became QB2, that means he's getting reps now. He wasn't getting reps before. He gets all the QB2 reps now, which is more reps than people know or realize. But now that he's settled into that second role and has gotten the reps and he's gotten older and he understands the offense even more, eventually it was going to happen. And I think it's happened for him. I think he's ready. The thing is, though, he, he didn't need to be the starting. Alabama's got a starting quarterback. That's been settled. We know the starter is, and that's fine. Uh, but Ty Simpson, the Ty Simpson I saw this weekend is ready to be a starting quarterback in the SEC. That doesn't mean that 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 there's a quarterback competition again. Uh, doesn't need to be. Uh, but I just saw a kid that's ready. He the, he wasn't capable of that performance, in my opinion, back in September. But he is now, and this is how quarterbacks normally develop. And for those that are like, "Gosh, Ty was a five star. Uh, he he should have been better quicker." Okay, he, he didn't even get to the end of year two, and to me, he's ready. I, I, I think he's developed right on time, uh, typical of most highly thought-of quarterbacks, and he'll be ready to go. Now, it, you know, next year is next year. Will it be at Alabama? Will it be somewhere else? That That's that's for Ty and his family to decide. But in my mind, I saw a guy that, that's ready to be a starting quarterback in the SEC. Yeah, for this offense in general, uh I wanted to kind of pump the brakes a little bit after the LSU game with fans because that LSU defense is terrible. And so the fact they had their way with them in Bryant Denny stadium, it's like, it, it wasn't really, it wasn't really shocking. Uh, did it look good? Is it encouraging? Could it be a confidence building performance? Absolutely. Did you like the play calling and the wrinkles that were thrown in? Absolutely. But you just, you couldn't get overly excited. Uh, and, but I did say, if they could go in and pretty much do the same thing to Kentucky on the road, Kentucky's defense is not elite by any means. It's not a top 25 defense, but it's top, you know, 40, top 50 in a lot of categories. So it's more respectable. And the fact they had that home crowd at their back. Now, granted, the crowd was kind of taken out of it pretty early uh, with the way things kind of transpired. But the, just the fact they came out, they were controlling the line of scrimmage. When they wanted to run the football, they could run it. They were hitting the explosive plays. They were hitting the intermediate plays. Milrow was extending things when he needed to. He was using his legs on, uh, you know, improvised runs on top of scripted runs or, or design quarterback runs. And so I thought just the completeness of the offense and the way that it could uh, it could attack Kentucky's defense, I thought was really encouraging. Uh, so are they going to be able to do this against every defense they come across? No, uh, but against any sort of average defense uh, or even better than average, a little bit above average. They should be able to score points, and I don't think it's a coincidence that in the really the four games, uh, Tennessee, um, you know Mississippi State, LSU, and Kentucky, the fact that they've scored more points in all four of those games, and those are the four games where Jalen Milrow utilized his legs the most. I don't think that's a coincidence, and so that's the that's the key to this entire offensive you know success, in my opinion. It's more to account for, and he's got an arm, and he's doing enough as far as growing in the passing side of things to where you throw in that third element where it's running backs in the run game, it's quarterback with his arm, and it's quarterback with his legs. That Three-dimensional, you become a lot more difficult to defend, and so that's been key for the offense. Defensively, Deontay Lawson did end up missing. Jalen Key did end up missing, and so – Jahad Campbell, pretty much. He didn't play every snap, but I think 55 out of 58. That was at the end of the game when they're bringing, other, and bringing in other guys. So he was Alabama's every down off-ball linebacker. That was to be expected. Uh, you know, Alabama did some different things. You saw some Trey Amos out there uh, with Terry and Arnold playing inside at star. You saw some Christian Story out there with Malachi Moore playing star and Terry and Arnold playing out on the perimeter. And so now, granted, on the first time through, and I was watching the broadcast version, I didn't make the trip to, uh, to Kentucky, so you can't see things as well. And two and three look really similar out there. I think they both kind of had some legs, sleeves, or whatever. And I just, I kind of thought at times that uh, Caleb Downs was playing star. I don't think that he did. But if you read my initial quick hits observations right after the game, I, I did clarify and made sure to say I need to go back and see. But I think they kind of did the personnel thing. And it would have made sense against Kentucky's heavy run offense 
the fact that they run a lot of 12 personnel. But so far, I mean, I'm pretty w- much went back and watched. And unless I'm now getting two and three confused again, I don't really think that Downs played too much star. But the versatility of Terry and Arnold, I mean, golly. I mean, it, it, he was like drive to drive. Amos would be out there one drive. Story would be out the, there the other. And Arnold could just flip back and forth with relative. He's getting comfortable at star now. So you can now, you don't have to worry about him being any sort of liability. And he's playing really good football at both positions. Yeah, he's one of the uh, real MVPs of the defense and of this team is Terry on Arnold, his improvement, but just his ability uh, to be so versatile and just a second year playing. And I do think one of the things that's made this Alabama secondary one of the best in the country is the versatility that Malachi Moore brings, uh, as well as Terry on that you can move them around, not just uh series to series, but play to play uh, and mix and match with with what you need. And that's going to be really valuable against the Georgia team who uh, line up two guys in the slot quite a bit. Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey, who could not be any more different. So maybe <laughs> Alabama needs a game where, you know, where Alabama's got the right personnel to where, OK, you want McConkey in the slot? We got Terry on. You want Bowers in the slot? We got Malachi. And, and we can sort of match up better with them. That, that's that, that's down the road, but the point is the versatility that Terion Arnold and Malachi Moore bring that can play multiple spots is invaluable. I thought the secondary uh, was impactful in the game. I don't think this was their best game. Uh, I, I don't, uh, but I, I think they missed Jalen Key to some, some degree. Uh, I don't think it was their best game. There, there were a couple of bad plays, but there were also some great plays even the Christian story play that doesn't count. I mean, I don't know whether the guy's knee, knee was down or not. I didn't think it was, but I thought it might be. Uh, we didn't get enough replay, and, and I, I certainly don't believe the SEC crew did enough. But regardless of whether it should have been replayed or overturned, heck of a play by Christian story on the goal line. I hope that gives that kid some confidence. And now he's got an all-time Alabama highlight to remember. That was a great play. Uh, Terry on with that awesome interception. But he also had a, a couple of plays where he sort of – out of position. Caleb Downs, so good. But uh, uh, gosh, I, I would just say it's a it's a tribute to how good this secondary is that I don't consider this past weekend one of their best games. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought they did some really good things. I thought Terry and Arnold did some really good things. Was he perfect in coverage? No. You know, when you say there were some kind of bad plays in there, I thought Terry on didn't always have his best reps. But overall, I mean, you're going it's it's the SEC. You're going against good players. Kentucky's got good receivers. I mean, I don't think people realize. I mean, Barry and Brown's a good player. Uh, Tavian Robinson's a good player. Uh, Dane Key, good Dane player. Key. Uh, yeah. You know, so you're when you have those kind of battles, it, it, you're going to give up one every once in a while. That doesn't mean I don't think that it should be as common of an occurrence against this gr- caliber of receiver compared to like the Texas receivers or the LSU receivers. But, you know, it, it's still SEC players are going to make good plays sometimes. I don't care if it's Vanderbilt, uh, you know, at, at very rare for Vanderbilt. But you get, what I'm, you get my point. Uh, that, that was an unnecessary shot. I didn't mean, mean it like that. But, uh, there were, collateral damage. Uh, over, over here catching sprays, didn't do nothing show. wrong. Uh, but um, what I'm more imp- – I am impressed with Malachi Moore's versatility, you know, and the fact that he can move around, he can handle different roles, he's a communicator. But, you know, kind of when you're playing safety, uh, there are going to be times where, you know, motion and stuff creates a situation where you got to roll up down into, you know, essentially become the star to the opposite side of the field. you got to roll down over the, the slot to the, when there's motion. Uh, and when you're playing star, there's going to be quite a few times where motion goes across the field and you're going to back off and essentially the safety rolls down and replaces you. You replace him essentially as the safety and then the other safety kind of moves to the other side of the field. So that's kind of you're at least you're familiar there, but with Tyrion, the perimeter cornerback is such a different position than star in everything that it requires and the kind of skill set that you need to be able to play both at a high level, uh, and and the fact that he could just he's flipping back and forth. I mean, the the I guarantee you, NFL teams were salivating watching when they do if they have already or if they are going to, they're going to be salivating at the fact that he can just flip back and forth and it almost was it was so effortless and he's making plays at both spots and he's he's making interceptions like perimeter cornerback you know uh, breaks on the ball he essentially ran uh the receiver's route 
on, on the interception. Uh, you talk about the fact that he was playing star. He gets sent on a blitz. He's able to get around the running back, apply pressure to the quarterback. Uh, you know, so he's, he's, I mean, just everything. Run support is there. Um, they're just such an impressive player. I, I, I can't say enough good things. And one thing about this tandem, me and you, uh, we, I missed a ton this year, you know, as far as preseason. And I am going to, I'm not going to, shy away from it you know when this year's over my my earl littles and my justin jeffersons and all these things that i miss i'm gonna bring it back up and we're gonna go over what i got right and what i got wrong uh, i'm gonna own as much as i can possibly remember i've already been writing stuff down i mean i was way off on this i was right on this we were right on terry and arnold and that fans weren't always on board i'm not saying it was the whole fan base but there was a pretty good chunk that didn't believe in his ability to improve, and those people are singing a different tune now. And if you were already in on that, good on you. Uh, but Alabama's defense is better for it, and so give him a lot of credit. He put his head down. He went to work. Some of these guys that struggle, maybe maybe a Caden Proctor, let's maybe not give up on him because sometimes when you're thrown into the fire as a young player with almost zero experience, you can look pretty ugly. Kool-Aid didn't he's always look stock. good. If he's a stock, he's a better buy right now than he was a year ago, to be honest thousand percent because you're getting him at a better you're getting him at a better price right now than you had got on him a year ago and he's coming with experience right now and he's coming with experience now i mean and that was that's to me i mean weight uh and you know pass protection i mean he's a left tackle in the sec i mean and will campbell played a lot better than caden proctor last year for lsu but he was far from perfect you know And, and now he's one of the best left tackles in all of college football and so just but it, I understand it's frustrating for fans, but when you look at a guy, if you're looking at Darian Dalcourt, no offense to him, but the guy's played a ton of football. I mean, what's your excuse yeah. at that point? If you're still struggling right. or fans you know, are still mad at you, uh, if you're Seth McLaughlin, your snap shouldn't be an issue at this point in your career. Bottom line, when he was struggling with that, and it could have been health-related that we didn't know, but the point is those criticisms, any criticism, I guess, to a certain extent is warranted if a guy's struggling, but just keep in mind, let's not hammer a guy and like, ruin his confidence when there's still so much room for him to improve and grow and i mean if you let a fan's opinion of you affect your confidence some will say well we don't want you anyways you don't have the right stuff but i mean it's tough i mean you're a young kid and people are down on you and but Tyrion arnold excellent uh uh, caleb downs has not been perfect this year but he's been as really as close to it as you could have possibly expected for a first-year player the guy flies around the guy, when you know, I talked about Terry and Arnold. I'm going to have, I've been getting some plays and I'm going to be doing that all 22 stuff where I post them and kind of break some down. We're going to be sharing those over on the, uh, the roundtable message board on Bama Online. If you haven't already, go subscribe. Uh, but, you know, there's one where Caleb Downs essentially runs the receiver's route. And just granted, he tackled him, I think, for a three yard game, but just so impressed. And, and what was wild about that play is that he's turned communicating with Cooley McKinstry and the ball snapped. And so he's not really ready. He's turning and getting his eyes on the receiver and he still ran the route and he only tackled him for like a three yard gain and forced Kentucky to punt. There was one play where he came downhill and he made a tackle for a loss, flies to the football, you know, good in coverage, amazing stuff from Caleb Downs. He continues to impress each and every week. Yeah. Years ago, whenever, uh, you know, I started using the term Saban bot to describe the kids who who are fit exactly what Nick Saban is looking for and then play and behave exactly in the way Nick Saban would like them to. Uh, I don't know that there's ever been a more inline Saban bot than Caleb Downs, who literally as if he is a puppet on a string with Nick Saban moving his arms and legs like it's an like it's you know Pinocchio uh Caleb does everything exactly as Nick Saban would want it done all the time uh and is such a blessed kid physically I mean it starts there that's why he was a five-star because he's so blessed physically but the mentality he he's not just mature beyond his years he plays like a 30-year-old pro out there and gosh he 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 would be this is as great this is as go as far as I'll go with it and this sounds crazy but I 100% believe it if every player was eligible he's a first round pick he would go in the first round right now because why not 
he's going to be one of the best safeties in the NFL. Probably within four years, he'll be one of the best safety. That's why I would be a first round pick right now, because he's going to be one of the absolute best at the position. Uh, he, he, and, and you can heap all this praise on him and know how much it would change him. Zero, zero. He's the same kid every day. He, he is, I knew he'd be amazing because we all saw the tape and we all knew about him. But just to see it happen, I mean, he is Minka. Minka has been the thing most similar to Caleb. If anything, he's just somehow even more mature than Minka, which is sort of like saying you're older than George Burns or taller than Shaq. <laughs> you know, uh, those things can't be done. But, man, I we, we'll, we'll do entire shows about Caleb Downs in the offseason. Yeah, and then to me, it's like it's Minka from a mentality standpoint. And, and if you look back or, or go back and watch some of the tape from Minka's freshman year, he played a lot and he was a good player, freshman All-American. He wasn't perfect. Like you would see him in coverage, like he would have some cover busts and things. Like he was not what he was as a sophomore, as a junior, uh, as you know, and that's that's just to be expected. I mean, what you look for is the ability to recover and respond when you make a mistake. Do you get down on yourself? Where are your limitations? Where can opposing offenses attack you as a player and take advantage of things that you don't do well? And when you look at Caleb Downs, you can say, okay, we can do some things from maybe a you know disguising or, or getting him in some conflict. And maybe he he won't always make the best decision, but there's nothing really where you look at him and say, okay, this is where we're going to be able to beat this kid, and we're going to be able to pick on this first year player. They got a first year player out; he's a good player, but we're going to be able to expose him a little bit. We're going to be able to generate some offense off of him. You don't really see that, and and that's so impressive. And so he's got a lot of Minka tendencies, but I think that he's a little bit more of like a downhill. Uh, Landon Collins esque early Landon Collins, where you know, I think as he got older and got bigger, he strength and conditioning, he lost a, a little bit of his mobility and flexibility, he became a little bit more stiff. I think he always had a certain amount of stiffness to him, but that's something that's why he fell to the second round. But he was such an impactful run defender, uh, and could be like an alley play. I mean, just the entire complete package, Caleb Downs can do all these different things really really impressive from him he's probably i think now he's on pace basically he had seven tackles on saturday so if my math is correct i think he's currently on pace to have 99.6 tackles in the regular season uh so if you throw in the sec championship you throw in you know a, either a bowl game or one college football game a college football playoff game or two you're probably going to get him well into the 100 you know tackle uh, range, you know, 115, 120, something like that. Incredible. And and that's not from, you know, it's it's not like an Alabama's defense has been good. Sometimes when your yeah. safety's leading the team in tackles by that many, it's because everybody's getting to the third level uh, pretty consistently. But with him, it's more so the guy just knows how to come downhill and be very active at or around the line of scrimmage. And I'll just love watching him play football. And I'm going to be showing some clips. Uh, or, or posting some clips to kind of reflect some of what I was impressed with on Saturday. Um, and I thought Campbell played well, too, by the way. I thought he was, you know, he was a step late. You know, there's still some stuff where it's like recognition. And it wasn't that it was bad. I mean, there was one where he got to the sidelines and made a tackle and kind of showed his range and his ability to get sideline to sideline. But I noticed that, you know, you look at Tresman Marshall and Trez is kind of already moving in the direction of the running back. And, and Jahai was just a, a little bit, late but at the same time he's not used to the position uh, he certainly didn't have all the experience that Tresman Marshall does for what he is and what he was expected to be as far as a potential edge rusher adjusting to playing off ball linebacker you saw the same kind of kind of uh slow play out of like Rashawn Evans when he was making the transition and stuff so that's to be expected to a certain extent but he still made got to the sidelines and made a tackle good in coverage um you know, got we once again. Uh, I say it all the time. It wasn't perfect, but really good in coverage. Everything that you could ask for at that position. And it's unfortunate that we haven't gotten to see more of Deontay Lawson and Jahad Campbell on the field together. We have got to see it a lot more as of late. But with the fact that Campbell or uh, Lawson's missed a couple of games, Campbell missed early on in the year. The fact there's been that platoon. I think Marshall certainly serves a role. I think he's a good player. 
I would love to see Campbell and Lawson play a little bit more uh, next to each other. But I thought, you know, and we saw some Kendrick Blackshire. I also want to bring that up. Uh, and I thought he played okay as well. So the inside linebacker position, very deep, Jimmy. Yeah, you know, Jihad, we just got off talking about Caleb Downs. Even though Caleb is a year younger, I would describe Caleb Downs as sort of a finished product. He, he's, he is absolutely ready to play. He's going to get better, as every player does, uh, as he sees more and has more experience. I mean, Caleb's going to be better. But, but Caleb is ready. He showed up ready. To me, Jihad is a guy I would describe as he's going to be great. Caleb is great. Jihad is going to be great. Flash is a greatness. All the ability in the world has been shown to us already. I mean, we have already seen conclusive proof that he's going to be great. I just don't think Jihad is a finished product like Caleb is. Jihad needs more experience. He needs more time. He needs this upcoming bowl practice and the upcoming spring practices. And I think next fall is when we will see the real jihad probably just in time for him to go off and be a first round pick frankly uh but i I think he's not a finished product and and i think you can catch jihad out of position uh and and which isn't going to happen much with the caleb downs and that's just because as you pointed out jihad is still learning this spot it's complicated inside outside is easy inside is hard uh, because of, there's so much more happening so much more quickly. And in terms of the reads are more complex and you're responsible for others. Uh, so Jihad still has a ways to go to me. Trez, Trez knows what to do. He, he, he knows it almost, or yeah, I'd say he knows it almost as well as Deontay Lawson does. He's just not quite as gifted, I think, as a Lawson or as a Campbell. So that's what he, that's what kind of he's, it's his challenge is, He's got to do it with his head because he doesn't have that first round ability that maybe Campbell and Lawson have. But Trez has been invaluable to this Alabama team simply because he knows what to do. The fact that he could get here when he got here and still run the defense. You know, we need to be very appreciative that the staff was smart enough to know this would be a need uh, because I don't know where we'd be without Trez. Uh, but Campbell's getting there. I can't wait to see him once he's a finished product. He's going to be just a monster. Uh, he's getting there though. Well, and and this is one. I'll share a secret. When you look, when you watch Kool Aid, you saw struggles in his first season, but you saw flashes. With Tyrion Arnold, you saw him struggle at times, but you saw flashes. And so, and and I don't mean flashes of a good play. I mean flashes of a great play, where he. Just there, there's things that they do that you watch and you say other people can't do that. And so their issue is consistency. And especially at a place like Alabama, they're going to fix that consistency issue in you with more experience. Naturally, you're going to get better the more experience you get in all these different things. But you're going to get coached up in a way where you become a much more consistently good player. And so what I look for, the reason I was – on board with Kool-Aid breaking out before last year when a lot of people were upset with the way that he performed in his freshman year. And I was saying, this guy's going to be really good was the flashes. And he's going to, it's natural. He's going to make, he's going to get better from a consistency standpoint. Terry and Arnold, same thing. Jihad Campbell's and granted their struggles for him haven't been highlighted. Like at, at corner, you're going to get exposed. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's one of the most exposable positions, if not the most on the entire field, uh, you know, safety I, defensive back, really is the most exposable position uh, or position group. Um, But Jihad, the reason that I think he's going to be great and elite is because his high-level plays, when he sees it, he understands it, he can do things that just other guys can't do. No offense to Tres Marshall, Jihad Campbell can do things that Tresman Marshall just can't do. And, I mean, I'll share a story. I hope he doesn't mind. But my best friend from high school uh, is going to be in my wedding in February. Um, William Mink, he went to Alabama. I'm sure that a lot of people listening recognize the name was a high, you know, he was a top 254 star recruit, one of the highest recruits in Athens history. And I remember, I want to say it was maybe a sophomore or junior year. I asked him, you know, do you think you'll ever be able to work your, and everybody knows he was never able to crack the rotation and get, you know, playing time or anything like that. And I remember when I asked him, do you think you'll ever be able to? 
Uh, I think it was right after they moved him from defensive line to out, to outside linebacker. He he looked at me straight up and he said, "Clint, there are things that some of these guys can do in practice that I just cannot do. I mean, it's just the 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 they're so athletically gifted and can you know the recovery and everything else. It's just it's a, it's a they're it's different humans. I mean, it's just as as much as you can work and try, just physically you can never do what some others can do." And Jihad is one of those players where it's just, you know, uh, him and Trez Marshall, they play the same position, but they're not the same player, uh, even remotely. And so I'm with you. Jihad Campbell's going to be an elite linebacker in the SEC. And if he's getting there now, I don't think I wouldn't call him elite right now, but I think he's a really good linebacker. And then that next step's great. And then that next step's elite. So we'll see what ends up happening. Last thing we'll say, because we got to get out of here. Um, Devontae Smith, he did end up playing in the game, but it wasn't until the very end. I know some people had thought, okay, you're probably just going to plug him in since Jalen Key is injured. That was never going to be the way it was going to work. Uh, he hadn't practiced, uh, at least not been 100% in practice in two months. I don't know how much he had been practicing, but he had been out or limited for two straight months. It's going to take him a while to get his bearings back. Uh, and so even in a rotational role, I thought maybe he could see some snaps in a rotational role and they put him on a pitch count. That ended up not happening. Uh, and so, you know, and I thought Christian Story played much better this week, by the way, much better. Uh, so give him credit on that front as well. But I thought it was encouraging that they got Devontae Smith back. And the fact that they've been dealing with so many injuries in the secondary, that bodes well for the depth moving forward. Yeah, to me, Devontae Smith coming back, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I know he's excited about being back. We're excited to have him back. And I think he could really be a key special teams player down the stretch for Alabama. I know this, the staff is super high on him. He was doing really well before his unfortunate injury, which cost him almost the entire season. Uh, but I, I know this, uh, again, I don't want to, you know, and, and when, with Alabama having so much to accomplish, I ain't talking about the offseason this much in this show. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Devontae is going to be talked about quite a bit in our offseason because I think uh, Jalen Key obviously has to move on to pro football. He's out of eligibility Really good chance Malachi won't exercise his COVID year. He'll be going to the NFL. So losing two safeties like Key and Malachi out of that safety room, uh, I tell you, I, I go ahead and pencil Devontae Smith as a starting safety alongside Caleb Downs right now Next in, in the next year's Alabama defense. I think it's Downs and Devontae. So any playing time Devontae can get uh, this week against Chattanooga, uh, maybe in, in mop-up time in some other game or, or just in practice is going to be invaluable because I think we're talking about a starter in 2024. Yeah, and and that'll be interesting because it, I guess a lot of it will depend on the uh, development of Earl Little. Uh, I'm going to slow play that a little bit more just so everybody knows. I'm going to learn from my mistake, and I do think he's going to be a, a better player next year than he was this year naturally. Like I right. said, guys continue to get better. Um, so will he be involved at star? Maybe because even though Christian story is listed as a senior, I think that he could, I mean, he's definitely got the COVID year, he's but then the also, year. yeah, I mean, it, I think it technically one year, I think he maybe could have redshirted and he was just listed as a senior, even though he didn't play in a, I don't know. Uh, I know he's at least got one more year though. So maybe it's a situation where Devonte Smith plays star and Christian story plays safety. If he continues to develop and improve, but that's something to figure out for another day for sure. Uh, right. it, it will be interesting though, cause you're probably, you're losing Kool-Aid. You're probably going to be losing Tyrion Arnold at this pace. I'm sorry, folks, but that's just the way it's trending right now. Uh, Malachi Moore and Jalen Key. So four of your five stars has been a heck of a, a a group, a lot of experience, a lot of versatility. They're going to have to, to figure some things out next year. Uh, defensive line played well. I at least want to touch on them. Um, I thought Otis, despite the fact that he only played 15 snaps, I thought maybe this was one of his better performances this year. Yes. Uh, made some really impactful plays. Uh, it was good to see uh, Damon Payne get a little pressure on the quarterback. And I said initially that I felt like he deserved the full credit on the sack instead of the half with a boy B. They met at the quarterback. You're going back and watching the all 22. Um, so I, I more so understand it now. Uh, but it, I thought that was encouraging. He only had his, he's already tied his career high for. Uh, sacks in a season with just the half sack. Uh, I think he's had ha- half a sack in each of the last three years. Um, a boy B played well. Um, uh, I think he's at now five sacks in the last eight games and four and a half Amazing. in the last six. 
Uh, yeah, he's doing really good. So the defensive line performed well. Don't want to spend too much time on it because we've got to get out of here. But, Jimmy, if you want to say something about the defensive line, feel free. Oh, I think of the three units, I actually think the defensive line played the best uh, of defensive line linebackers, DBs. I think the D-line played uh, best of the three units this past week. Uh, a boy B, uh, just fantastic. I never would have imagined he would have this level of a season coming off that injury. Never even wanted to entertain the idea, but he didn't just pick up where he left off. He somehow got better. This is this is a, a, a great all SEC year for Justin Boyd. I don't care if he makes a team or not. He's all SEC in my mind. I thought G Modis looked healthier, quicker, and more impactful than at any point he had all season. Uh, Damon Payne showing why he's going to be another significant player in 2024 for Alabama. And uh, Tim Smith plays pretty well every week, and Tim Keenan plays pretty well every week. No surprise there. But uh, a really good performance by one of the better defensive line groups in, in the SEC and in the country. Yeah, we, sh- we should probably have given them a little bit more credit because Kentucky, how they operate offensively, 12 personnel, a lot of pro style. It's essentially a pro style offense. A lot of play action off of it and so really where it starts is stopping their run game uh and alabama was able to be very effective outside of that 74 yard run they, i mean they had 95 yards uh they allowed 95 yards so take away that it all came yard on the run. one play it yeah, all it was, came on the one play it all did i mean ray davis who was i think ranked second or third in the sec in rushing yards he had 26 uh on 12 carries and he had two touchdowns but his longest carry was six yards he averaged 2.2 yards per carry I mean, you could not ask for more than that from Alabama's defense so very good performance from them very good performance from the offense you got UT Chattanooga can't look past them uh and then it's of course Iron Bowl and it's Georgia in the SEC championship and that's going to be a really fun two-week stretch and we're going to be doing a lot Probably won't be doing a UT Chattanooga preview this week. I know we were going to do potentially a Kentucky win last week, but we had some scheduling conflicts. But for Auburn and for Georgia, we're going to get their review. We're going to talk about the UT Chattanooga game next week, but then we're also going to get a preview, and we're also going to get a reaction to the Iron Bowl and then a preview for Georgia the following week. So, I mean, just and it's not just us. It's Travis. It's Tim. It's Charlie answering the five questions. It's Thursday night, Todd. Folks, I don't think you're going to get more or better Alabama coverage anywhere out there. And I'm typically not one to go out there and try to brag on myself or anything I'm a part of. I'm more of a deflect, but I will say just the the amount of content, recruiting content, team content. Uh, we got the message boards. We try to respond to as much as we possibly can. We start topics, uh, get the conversation going, but we also hop in and, and we all contribute as much as possible to questions that people have. and. It's not just a yes or a no. I really try to dive in, and, and if you got a question, I try to dissect it for you to where you understand it. Jimmy does the same thing. Charlie's on there. Tim's on there. Everybody's hammering out the message boards, the, the written content, the podcast, the videos. I'm telling you, I don't think you're going to get this content anywhere else. And right now, you know, the YouTube channel's free. You don't have to pay anything for that. But if you want all the written content and the, the you know, to join the best Alabama football or athletics community out there get certainly go sign up it's only one dollar for one month right now give us a try you're only out a dollar if you don't like it but I, I almost guarantee you you're gonna love it and so jimmy as always i appreciate you hopping on here with me this was a lot of fun and we will do this again next week